Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. All right, so turn over to the book of John, chapter 3. We're going to continue on in our uh, Beyond Small Talk series. Beyond Small Talk, where we we talked about last week how, excuse me, Jesus was a master at uh, conversation, where he could get people off kind of one-on-one, begin a conversation with them, and inevitably, uh, you know, take what, how the conversation first started, uh, break through kind of the surface level of what's going on there in that conversation, and really get to the heart of people. And, uh, and so Jesus was just a master of kind of busting through the small talk, and let's get to the heart of what's going on in your life. And so the conversation we're going to look at uh, this morning is a conversation in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, uh, that he has with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was uh, one of the uh, Pharisees. Um, he was a religious leader of that day. Now, in, in our day, uh, you know, Pharisee has just become synonymous with fake or, um, you know, kind of bad religious type people, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but, but I think it, it, we've swung it so far that, that direction that it loses some of its original meaning of, of what it meant back in the day of Jesus. And, and now, the Pharisees back in the day of Jesus were known for being very showy in their religious practices. A lot of them were, were uh, definitely kind of two-faced individuals, that sort of thing. Um, but um, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the most devout religious people of that day. These were not bad guys. These were not, uh, you know, horrible, horrible people uh, any more than any of the rest of us are horrible, horrible people. These were guys that had given their lives to the study of um, uh, theology, to the practice of religion. Uh, They were decent men. They were often misguided in the way that they thought, but they were decent men. Okay, again, I don't want us to lose sight of that. Now, Nicodemus is a really good example of, you know, a lot of times when Pharisees show up in the scriptures, uh, we see these kind of, uh, um, kind of horrible examples of behavior that the Pharisees would show, and Jesus would often use them as examples of horrible behavior. Nicodemus is a guy that, that shows up on, on the scene in scripture, and he is a devout Jew. He is, a, he is, a, he is devout in his faith. He has seen and heard Jesus doing and saying what he's been doing and saying, and he's curious. He's curious. He's not the guy that is immediately jumping on the bandwagon saying, crucify him, crucify him. Instead, something about the way Jesus has taught or the way he has acted in terms of performing miracles or something, something has caught his attention, and he is curious, and he is beginning to ask himself could it be possible that this man really is the Messiah that we've been waiting for? As many of the other religious leaders immediately dismissed him, said, you know, this guy's a kook, whatever, and worried about too many people starting to follow him. Nicodemus, on the other hand, is a guy that's like, maybe, maybe. I, I, need, to, I need to find out more information. But he's a very kind of cunning individual, and so, so he decides to meet with Jesus at nighttime. And he's like, I want to I kind of get some face time with Jesus and ask him some questions. But, 
you know, I don't want to ruin my reputation either, so I'm going to, I'm going to call them nighttime meeting, and we're going, to, we're going to meet and we're going to talk. And so that's kind of where we pick up on this story um, in John chapter 3. It's a great, you're going to hear a couple verses in here that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. John chapter 3 <clears throat> says this. Uh, by the way, I, I don't have the scripture on the screen this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll get a Bible to you. Raise your hand, we'll get a Bible to you. All right, keep your hand up in the air. One of the ushers will, will bring you a Bible now. Can we get somebody moving towards Bibles? That'd be great. All right, good. Keep your hand up in the air, and they'll get one to you. John chapter 3. So it says this. <clears throat> now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's a, that's a very good observation, by the way. Very good observation. I mean, again, rather than swinging so far over that he's just like, no, nah, this guy's of the devil. He's like, no, no, no. I've seen what you do. I've seen what you say. I've seen how this, the things that you're doing line up with a lot of the prophecy that we've been taught since a kid. Surely a person doing the things and teaching the things that you are teaching uh, has to be from God in some way. Very, very astute observation, okay? Jesus, uh, verse 3, Jesus answered him and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus, again, right from the bat, he takes Nicodemus' statement, he cuts through that statement and gets to the heart of a, of a different matter that Nicodemus maybe didn't even realize he was bringing up. You see, because with the Jews... Uh, again, all throughout the Old Testament, there were all these prophecies about a Messiah who would come and set the people free. Now, most people had, um, you know, there was a lot of different kinds of prophecies around that whole Messiah idea, uh, religious um, ideas behind it. There were political ideas behind it that many people believed that not only would he uh, kind of renew the faith of Jerusalem, but the Messiah would also set them free from their Roman overlords, okay? So, so they were looking for somebody who would kind of politically step on the scene and, and shake things up and, uh, and set them free from the people who had been oppressing them and that sort of thing. And so Jesus, or Nicodemus, when he says, I, we, know you, we know you're from God, we know you're, in, in Nicodemus' mind, he's probably thinking, this is probably just another great prophet, probably another great prophet. And then Jesus cuts through that notion and says, I'm telling you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And it gets to this kingdom idea. Now, kingdom is mentioned a lot of times in the New Testament. And I love the idea of kingdom, but it's a little bit of a fuzzy idea. Um, that a lot of times, you know, early on, you know, when I was younger, I used to think that when, when Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God, he was talking about heaven. Uh, that's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about when he brings up the kingdom of God. What Jesus is talking about is a, is a, a way of doing life, a way of a, a new paradigm for life, so to speak, under the reign of Jesus Christ. Under the, reign, under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, that when Jesus came on the scene and he ushered in the kingdom of God, he ushered in a new way of doing life. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are now living in the kingdom of God. We are kingdom people. We are followers of, of King Jesus. We live in that kingdom. And, and, and as such, 
we uh, behave a certain way, we act a certain way, we, we align our priorities in a certain way, and, and a lot of Jesus' teaching was centered around that idea of, okay, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, your life is now going to look like this, okay? And there's, again, a paradigm shift of the way that we, we kind of look at life. That whole kingdom mentality that he brings up, Nicodemus you know, focuses on what Jesus said the first time, which was the whole, you got to be born again, which confused him. Nicodemus, verse 4, says, uh, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus, verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, "Are Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things... And you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me stop right there and just, just explain that whole Moses and serpent thing. Uh, if you're not familiar, there's a story in the Old Testament where... Um, um, the people, the children of Israel are, are on their sojourn and Moses is leading them uh, from Egypt into the promised land. Uh, they become uh, very sinful and rebellious and that sort of thing as they did over and over and over. And uh, we are told that serpents came out of everywhere and began to bite and kill the people, right? And, and in that time, the solution uh, that God told Moses that the solution for um, them to escape that, that uh, onslaught of uh, snake bites, <laughs> it was uh, that they, would, they, would, they made a, another kind of uh, false snake and hung it up high for people to look at. And as they, if they would look up at that, then they, would, then they wouldn't die. Then they wouldn't die. And this was a a uh, kind of precursor, a a foreshadowing of what was going to come later on through Jesus Christ when one day he would be lifted up on a cross and all who would look to him uh, would have eternal life. Verse 16, Jesus continues, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because of their work, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. All right? I'm going to kind of break down this conversation for you this morning. And we're going to look at, um, there, there are four truths about life 
that Jesus lays open to Nicodemus in this conversation. And the whole purpose of Jesus' end of this conversation with this guy Nicodemus was to get him to start to look at life differently than he had looked at it before. Differently than he had looked at it before. That in his idea, you know, and and for, for thousands of years before him, the whole kind of concept of, of life and religion and faith and everything else was if you're, a, if you're a man of faith, if you're a woman of faith, you'll obey the law. And if you obey the law, um, and, and the better that you obey the law, uh, the closer that you can be to God or, or the more that God will bless you. The more that God will bless you. So if you were a sinful person, um, God would not bless you. If you were a righteous person, you could expect to see God's blessings. And if you weren't seeing God's blessings, then there must have been some sin in your life that was causing that. It was a very kind of tit-for-tat uh, relationship that they had with God. If, if I, you know, I'm holding up my end of the bargain by being as perfect as I possibly can be, you hold up your end of the, bi- of the bargain by you know, uh, blessing me with a large family and, and a decent amount of money and things like that. And it was you know, kind of this relationship, uh, bless our nation. You know, if, we, if we follow you, if we're devout in our faith as a nation, then you'll bless our nation and you know, that sort of thing. So it was all, you know, the whole thing was, and this is what, by the way, this is what religion is. This is what religion is, and this is how you can tell. This is the question that you can ask yourself to, to determine whether you are kind of steeped in religion or if you are living out a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's this, that religion is all about you doing whatever it takes, whatever you need to do to get the stuff from God that you want from God. That's religion. And so if you find, you may be not even, it may just be little flashes. You may not even like sit down and think about it fully. But if you find yourself thinking things like, you know, I really, really need God to, um, you know, show up and bless me in terms of I got a promotion coming up and I really want this promotion. So I got to make sure I, I remember to tithe this week. That's religion. That's religion. If you're thinking things like, well, you know, gosh, my kid is sick and I want my kid to get sick, so I'm, I dare not miss church because I want God to heal my kid. That's religion. You do what it takes to get the stuff from God that you want from God. It is a business relationship, if, you, if, you, if, you, if that helps with, with the analogy. It's a business relationship. What can I get from you? I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want from you. That's religion. Now, again, you may not think of it that crassly when you're thinking about your faith. But if you find yourself thinking those types of things, flash, and, and by the way, if you say you don't, you need to look a little, deep, little bit deeper because we all do from time to time. Every one of us do from time to time. And what we want and what Jesus came to establish here on earth was this idea of we can put away that type of relationship or that type of arrangement with God and we can dive into an actual relationship with the creator of the universe that is not based on our attendance or our tithing or our service or how pretty we sing or how many lessons we teach or or how many poor people we feed. It's not based on any of that. It's based solely on that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life.
It's based solely on Jesus, on Jesus. This, this was, you know, you, you've heard that taught a few times at least. Nicodemus, not so much. And when Jesus reached into, kind of Nic, into Nicodemus's head and began to shift his paradigm of faith, and began to shift how he thought of the whole, his whole life, really, it was a revolutionary idea for Nicodemus. And I want to, I want to hit on that just to just simply say, as revolutionary as I know it was for Nicodemus back in that day, it can still be just as revolutionary for us today. Because this is not something that was powerful to a man 2,000 years ago. This is something that's powerful to us every day of our lives because we have the tendency to constantly dive back into that way of thinking about faith, that business arrangement with God. If I'm good, if I'm good to you, you be good to me, right? And we, it, it's so tempting to dive back into that. And what God wants from us is just simply for us to accept his free gift of salvation and enter a relationship with him that is based on love and is based on worship and it's based on just, I, I submit to you, God, because, because of what you did for me through Jesus, I'm, I, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm not trying to earn your blessing. I'm not trying to earn my position in your kingdom. All I am doing is what is the decent thing to do based on what you have done for me. You gave your life for me. So I'll submit to you every day of mine if I can. And I'll love you. And I'll, and I'll, I'll try to grow into a deeper knowledge of you. I want to get closer to you. I want this relationship to build. It's the difference, I find it's this, it's the difference kind of between, um, well, since I brought up tithing just a second, let me, let me hit that just a second. When you think about tithing under a, a religion that's based on relationship versus a religion that's based on religion, it's the difference between submitting to God and tipping God. That's what it is. If your, if your whole you know, uh, arrangement with God is based on religion, it's based on what can I give you, based on what you have given me or whatever else, it's the same relationship you have with your waiter or waitress. If you give me good service, then I'll give you a good tip. And that is no... Now, now again, you may not think about it that crassly, but that's, that's, that's how it's actually exercised. First, of, first, if you submit to God through, through this act of tithing, you know, giving 10% of your income because the Bible says it's the right thing to do or, you know, says it's, it's this act of submission that we should do, it's, 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 a, it's an act of faith. It's an act of submission. It's, it's an act of saying, I put you before me. I, and and can, I, can I tell you, there have been... This is what a lot of pastors won't tell you. There have been times I have chosen my tithe over other pressing things in my life, trusting that God would show up and be faithful, and I did not get what I hoped for. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't show up. He just didn't show up the way I thought he should have. He just didn't show up the way I thought he should have. And there are some moments in life when you submit yourself to God, hoping and expecting that God will take care of you, and there will be some clenching moments where it's like, okay, God, uh, you know, 
we're running out of time here. I need you to show up. Okay, God, we're past time here. I need you to show up. And he does not show up the way you had thought or hoped he would show up, but he does show up. And that is a whole, that's the whole idea of faith and trust and submission and God working in and through us in ways that he knows is best versus ways that we know are best. Versus ways that we know are best. Now, four different ideas uh, about life, that, uh, truths about life that Jesus shares here. The first one is this, that we start off dead. We start life dead. We talked about this a couple months ago, but we start life dead. Uh, that we are awakened into new life uh, by being born again, by starting a relationship with Jesus Christ, as, as Jesus was as explaining to Nicodemus. We start life dead, and through Jesus we are awakened. It's like one of my favorite uh, places in, in the whole city of Dixon, because you guys know I've confessed that I like to shop sometimes, um, is, is in Safeway. Um, I don't really like Safeway itself, but there's this one spot in Safeway I like a lot. And it's this giant, actually it's two of them, two giant end caps filled with gift cards. You guys know what I'm talking about over at Safeway? Yeah, the gift card, like, uh, like I know some people say gift cards are horrible gifts because they're not personal or anything. I'm just saying, that's a great gift for me. I, I, you, gave me the, you gave me the gift of buying my own gift. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so anyway, so I loved like looking through all those gift cards and, and all, all the places I could shop if I wanted to shop, right? Right? But here's the thing about a gift card. A gift card, like, like to somebody walking up and seeing all that, like $50 at whatever, the Apple Store, which wouldn't buy you anything. Um, and, and, and so $50 at the Apple Store card or whatever, you know, and you see that card, and, and you may think, well, there's nobody here looking. I could just take this card and go spend $50. But no, why can't you do that? Because you first have to activate it. You have to actually take it through and pay that $50 and let them activate that card before you can then go and use that card, all right? And in the same way, we kind of start out life not activated, dead, useless, um, not aware of, of our full potential and everything else. But when through Jesus Christ, our faith is activated, we are, we are born again, we get this fresh spiritual start and we're like brand new babies Jesus activates all the kingdom potential that he has called us to from the beginning of time. But we start off life dead, and we need Jesus to activate us. We need Jesus to give us that new life. The second thing is this, that the most significant thing about you cannot be seen. The most significant thing about who you are cannot be seen. And by the way, the most significant things about our universe cannot be seen. <clears throat> they just can't. There is a whole um, <clears throat> spiritual world that, um, that is invisible to us. I'm not getting kooky here. Hold on. Stay with me. There's a whole spiritual world that is invisible to us that is so much more significant than the things that we can see. That God has a view of the goings-on of planet Earth that no other person has. It's a view that nobody else has. It's a view that nobody else has. He sees not only what's happening, he can see the 
inner spiritual workings of what, ha- what is happening, both in the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, and in our own individual spirits, what's happening. And so, just in terms of the universe that we live in, the most significant things about it cannot be seen. Now, in terms of who we are as individuals, the most significant things about us cannot be seen. That you are not defined by this body, thank God, right? 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 Okay. Thank God we're not defined by these bodies, right? Because, yeah, you know why. So, You're not defined by your position. You're not defined by your career. You're not defined by your achievements. That the most significant thing about you is the who you are is your spirit. Is your spirit. So much so that I, I like to say it this way, that you do not have a spirit. You are a spirit. You do not, a spirit is not something you have like a heartbeat or a brain. You are a spirit with a body, with a heartbeat, with a brain. Most of us. You are a spirit. It is the most significant thing about you. The most significant thing about you cannot be seen. We, we see this all the time, if you're, if you're honest with yourself. Um, like, I, you know, God created me with, uh, with a love for, uh, okay, this is going to sound creepy coming from your pastor, and I apologize. Just be mature about it. Okay, so um, God created me with a love and appreciation for uh, women. I, I, women are a beautiful creation from God. Amen? Amen, guys? Okay, so, so here's, here's the deal. I don't care how stunningly, physically beautiful of a woman you are, if who you are in terms of your attitude and your personality is crap, I can't see your beauty. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Seriously? Like, like I, it doesn't matter how the world would judge your physical beauty. If your personality and your attitude is just horrendous, I promise you, I, it blinds me to your physical beauty. Blinds me. That the most significant thing, and, and, and ladies, I, I would encourage you with this statement, the most significant thing about you is not what you see in the mirror, but that the way God sees you. The most significant thing about you is who you are. We, we teach this to our girls all, all the time. My girls, I have three of them, and, uh, and we teach them what it means to be pretty on the inside, Right? And that what we're really interested in most is pretty on the inside. And what God is most interested in is pretty on the inside. It's the most significant thing about us. And in terms of our spirit, as he said, you know, you can, you can feel the wind. You see the effects of the wind, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. But you trust that it's there in the same way. The most significant thing about us is our spirit. It's not, this was the revolutionary idea for Nicodemus, it's not your religious activities. It's not your church attendance. It's not how much money you're giving. It's not how much you're serving or how, you know, what your position is in the church or in your work or anything else. It's, it's how God sees you. 
It's, it's the thing only, it's the parts of you actually that only God can see that are the most significant thing about you. <clears throat> the third thing is this. Our sin cannot be ignored. Our sin cannot be ignored. Not by God and not by us. Let me break that down for just a second. You, our sin, we, we are, in case you weren't aware of this, you're sinful. You just are, we, we all are. And it cannot be ignored. And we have, you know, we have, we have kind of, um, again, you know, in culture, the pendulum swings back and forth on certain idea, ideas. And, uh, you know, back, say, 30 years ago and, and, bef- and longer before that, the pendulum was swung this way on the idea <coughs> of um, uh, almost like that Pharisee-type uh, thing that Jesus was combating in terms of uh, righteousness and holiness and, and our responsibility to that. And, and so there was this very, in, in church land, there was this whole idea of if you're not perfect, then we'll all judge you and, you know, that sort of thing. Very harsh. Church environment was very harsh back, back you know, 30 years plus ago, okay? And, and since then, uh, you know, kind of brought about by the Jesus movement of the 60s and then on through the 70s and the 80s, uh, there's been a much more focus on the love and grace of God. And, the, and, and it got to here, and then the, it, it swung probably a little too far again to where there was no emphasis on personal holiness, that, which the Bible clearly emphasizes, clearly emphasizes. That yes, God loves us, and yes, he forgives you, and yes, Jesus, uh, the cross covers a multitude of sins, and yes, and amen, and all that is true. But our sin cannot be simply ignored. It is not as if... God sees sin and just like some kindly grandpa kind of winks and chuckles it away. Oh, those kids. That, that's not God. That's not God. God is not George Burns. God is not, most of you, that, that only hit like a third of the room. Most of you don't even know who George Burns is. This is an old guy that played God. Anyway, God is not Morgan Freeman. Everybody's like, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay. So anyway, um, God is not just this kindly grandpa that just simply chuckles and winks away our sin. That our sin is, to say that it angers God is an understatement. It is, it is completely offensive to God's character to have sin in his presence. To have sin in his presence. When I was in the army, um, and and uh, our first sergeant would come around and do these barracks checks, and uh, now I was it was it's not this way everywhere. Uh, I was told that it, you know back in the day it was, but modern army not so much. But but we were in the D.C. area, and we were at, at, we were part of a, the honor guard uh, for the president, and and uh, it was kind of even though it never happened, it was kind of this. There was always this notion that the president could stop by at any time, so we had to, everything had to be shipshape, and so. The, our, our first sergeant would come by and literally do the white glove inspection. And he would open up our, my locker where I had to have, I mean, this was just my day in, day out living. I could not be casual about anything. Uh, you know, I had to have like an inch between each hanger and everything had to be lined up perfectly and everything else and my shoes and everything had a place. You know, my socks had to be rolled a certain way. And, but the, the, the first sergeant would come by white glove and do this inside, uh, you know, across like the, uh, the curtain rod up above my locker, everything. And, and you guys know, if you've ever seen a white glove inspection, on that pure, you know, 
pristine white glove, there is nothing that looks worse than just the, even the slightest bit of dust will just, it takes away that pure white. It goes dark, right? And in the same way with God, sin is so offensive to who he is. It is so contrary, so backwards from who he is. It is not something he can just wink and chuckle away. It's not. There has to be, there had to be a plan to deal with this epidemic of sin that we are all embroiled in. And the answer for that, the only answer that could be, was Jesus Christ. God himself in the flesh paying the penalty for our sin that we should have paid but couldn't pay because he was the only one that could pass the white glove inspection. He was the only one that was righteous, that was holy, that could bear the weight or bear the wrath of an angry God, was God himself. I don't care. Listen, I say this all the time. I don't care who you are. You, you can't make that stuff up. Like, that, that is so beyond our wild... I mean, people make it up now all the time, but it's shadows of the gospel. It's got, I, I commented the other day that if you go see Godzilla, Godzilla is a retelling of the gospel. I promise it is. Go see it. You'll see it with me. Anyway, but, but we, we make up these stories now that, that, sh- that, that, that kind of shadow back to the gospel story, but originally nobody was thinking of... I mean, they had the idea of perfect, holy, wrathful gods. They had the idea of, of, of flawed, sinful you know, human beings. They had no concept of the solution to that being God taking all of his own wrath upon himself. None. And yet, it was the only, it's the only possible solution. It's the one God came up with. He dealt with sin in that way. You cannot deal with your own sin. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And just in the same way that God can't ignore sin, we can't ignore sin. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're following him to the best of your ability, you're going to know, you're going to find out very soon that you're never going to be perfect. You're still going to sin. You're still going to screw up. You're still going to, you know, your pride's going (coughs) to get in the way. You're going to have moral failures. Things are going to happen in your life that are offensive to you and everybody around you and to God. And, and you have a choice. You can kind of laugh off that sin, which a lot of us do. You may think, I don't laugh off my sin. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have found yourself saying things, well, I know it shouldn't be that way, but it's just kind of my personality. Really? Just kind of your personality, so that makes it okay. You don't, you, we don't wink away our sin. Now, it doesn't, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm just saying don't pretend like it's okay for you as a child of God to continue living in a lifestyle of sin. It's not okay. You give that sin, you offer that sin up to God, you, 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 you allow him to crucify it on the cross, you allow him to take it from you to work it out of you and that work that it may be a, you may be, work on that sin your entire life and never feel like you've conquered it but that's not the point Christ has conquered it it's only your job to give it to him and submit to him 
and say, God, please do whatever it takes to remove this from me and to make me more like yourself. And if you struggle with that, a lot of people feel bad because they struggle with sin. I say feel bad if you're not struggling with sin. If you're not struggling with it, if you're not wrestling with it, if, you're, if you've given up to the idea that you could ever conquer that, then that's when you should feel bad. Feel good, feel like you're in the right place if you're actually struggling with it. If you're actually trying to give it to God and allow him to transform you into the, way, into the person that he's called you to be. Cannot ignore sin. And the fourth one is this. He's, he ends up this passage by uh, this whole talk of dark and light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But when who, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're in the dark, you hate God. And if you're in the light, you know, then you're with him. And, uh, you know, and he ta- John, who also wrote the epistles of John, uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he, in 1st John he talks a lot about light and dark there too. And he kind of liked this whole concept. He talks a lot about these kind of, um, you know, um, esoteric kind of uh, ideas of, of light and dark and, and, and other things in, in his writings. The point he's trying to make is this. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You cannot go through your life simply saying that, well, in the end, all religions are kind of the same. They all lead to the same place. Because the Bible won't allow you to do that. God's word will not allow you to do that. And if you do, you are a heretic. You are a heretic. That, that kind of thinking is in direct contrast to the word of God. And to this very passage that we just read that very specifically says, it is only through the name of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Only through the name of Jesus Christ. Only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ that we have any hope of salvation. And so you cannot, when it comes to your faith, kind of ride this weird fence where, yeah, I believe all the Bible stuff is true, but I'm also kind of, you know, I don't want to be offensive, so I'm kind of keeping my options open, and, you know, whatever. You can't, you can't do that. I'm not saying you have to choose to be offensive. I'm saying you have to choose Jesus. And if that's offensive to some, that's their problem, not yours. Not yours. You have to make a choice. And if you are not choosing Jesus, then you are choosing to live in the dark. You're choosing to continue your life dead, unactivated. But if you step up and you choose Jesus and you choose truth, then you stand in the light. You stand in the light. You stand with God. You have what we refer to as salvation. We don't call it salvation for nothing. It's salvation because you need to be saved. We all need to be saved. We are in need of what only Jesus Christ could provide for us. What only he could provide for us. So I want to challenge you all this morning. First of all, if, if you're here, <coughs> excuse me, and you are um, just kind of considering you know, kind of getting into the Christian faith. I want to challenge you to make that choice. I want to challenge you to choose 
the one, the only one who could possibly save your soul, the only God of the universe, the only one who is worthy of your praise. I want you to choose him. I want you to choose life relationship with him. Not that act of back and forth religion. What can I get from you? What do you need from me to get, so I can get what I can get from you? That's not what I'm challenging you to. Instead, I want you to choose to accept his free gift of salvation, to begin a life of loving him, of worshiping him, of submitting to him, of following him. And the lights are going to come on for you. You're going to realize that the whole, this whole, however old you are, this whole life that you were living before was actually no life at all, and you're going to awake into a new life that you're not even hardly going to be able to believe. So many things in your life will begin to make sense. If you're already following Jesus, I also want you to choose Jesus. The world around you is pressing in on you trying to cause you to water down your thinking, to water down your faith. And I want you to reaffirm this morning that God, the God of the universe, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and Jesus Christ, that God is the only God worthy of my praise and it's the only one that's going to get it. And I will leave no doors cracked open that would offer any other, um, any other possible solutions because, as we talked about last week, they're just empty wells. They're empty wells. That I can only get the living water through Jesus Christ. Only through him. I'm going to reaffirm, I'm going to reaffirm that. I'm going to stand firm on that principle despite the way society or the world presses in on me or, or my, it's even sometimes our own sensibilities will press in on us and begin to ask God to transform your mind, shift your paradigm about the way you think about life and begin to see the truth about life. Now here's the thing about truth. We don't always like truth. Truth is sometimes inconvenient. It, 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 sometimes it really stinks. For instance, uh, if you go on a, on a uh, if you want to go out in the wilderness on a week-long hike, just out away from everything. Now, you can go out there with no supplies, no pack, no plan, no nothing, and maybe it'll work out. But the truth is, if you want to have an enjoyable, successful time, you're going to have to carry around a heavy pack. You're going to have to carry around some weight on your back that's not always going to feel good, that's not always going to be convenient. But as you do it, the truth is you'll appreciate the fact that you did it. You can choose what seems easy to you or what seems convenient to you in terms of your outlook on life and the spiritual world and that sort of thing, or you can choose the truth, which, by the way, often and always causes us to have to change and to transform in ways that are uncomfortable. But why would you choose a lie? Just choose the truth. Just choose the truth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. (coughs) Thank you so much for your word (coughs) this morning. And um, 
Forgive us when we are tempted to um, listen to other voices who would lead us away from your truth. And God, right now, I, I, I do exactly what I just said. I, I just want to uh, reaffirm, stand firm one more time on the truth that, that you alone are God and you alone, Jesus, are worthy of my praise and you're the only one that's going to get it. You're the only one that's going to get it. And I will live my life as if I believe that is true. I will share that information with people that I come in contact with as if I believe that is true. Because I do. God, for those of us in the room maybe that are are still questioning the idea of faith, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just break through any barriers that are in our minds that they would feel that truth piercing into their hearts they would allow you to become their God they would begin to live in relationship with you and begin to submit and follow you God that as they do that your Holy Spirit would take root in their life and reveal um, everything you have for them to see. So I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will do what only your Holy Spirit can do, reach out into the lives of people right now in this room and change them. (coughs) Father, we love you, and we thank you again for your word. Your word is good to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.